Hi, and welcome to the Art Teacher Mentor Podcast, where we explore the intersection of teaching, art, and personal growth in and out of the classroom. Join me, Lauren Nolte, as I share insights, strategies, and inspiration to empower art educators and nurture creativity in students. Each episode, we delve into topics such as curriculum development, teaching techniques, fostering artistic expression, and finding balance between teaching and personal artistry. Whether you're an experienced art teacher or just starting your journey, this podcast serves as your mentor and cheerleader. Hey everyone, I'm so glad to be back with you today on Art Teacher Mentor. This is Lauren Nolte, and if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. I'm so excited to discuss classroom management, and while this will be focused on my current middle school classroom is sort of a reflection. I also um, think this would apply to elementary and high school. So listen on and I hope that you enjoy. I worked on this podcast recently and then school got in session and I wasn't able to go through and listen to it and I finally did and decided to just start completely over and uh, made more work for myself. But honestly, this is just really fun to talk about and reflect. And um, there's so many things that I've left out. And we are only in our seventh day of school, eighth day of school, I believe, maybe 10th. And uh, we have so much that we have been covering in my classroom. And I am just going to go through, I've made a list of items that I'm going to talk about for classroom management. And I know I will leave something out. That's always going to be the case. I'm probably never going to have like that 100% uh, have everything covered in this. But hopefully the topics that I discuss will help you in your classroom, especially if you're a new teacher or you just need that reminder you haven't started yet or if you're in school and you just need that um, little teacher buddy to chat with you, that's what I'm here for. And so I'm going to go ahead and get into it. For my students, we have sketchbooks and I want to talk about how sketchbooks can be a great management tool, especially when students are entering in your classroom. I have a filing cabinet near the door of my classroom that's in the quote-unquote student center. That's what I call it. Um, It has all of their information, all of their items that they would need for my classroom that isn't for teaching, such as like tissues, band-aids, extra Chromebook chargers, pencil sharpener, the big exacto one. And it has their filing cabinet. Inside the filing cabinet, which I have, um, it's the four-drawer filing cabinet, and I only have four classes, and it is organized uh, with their sketchbooks, and it has table folders that are the hanging file folders, and inside the hanging file folders are their um, folders that they also have for my classroom that has their sketchbook prompts and any pertinent handouts that we are using for our lessons. So my students will walk in and I have seven tables. So I have seven table folders and sketchbooks in this filing cabinet. And the first person that walks in my classroom for each table will get their table folder for their table and put it down. They will get their sketchbook, have a seat, 
and begin doing a drawing prompt. The kids are staggering in all at this time. So there's never a crowd for me in my classroom getting their supplies. The kids will either come in, put their backpack, excuse me, backpacks down, go to their seat with their table folder, and they just kind of trickle in. Also, a lot of my students carry their sketchbook in their backpack, even though I tell them, leave the, the sketchbook in the room, in the filing cabinet. Some of them just like to take it home to work, so I totally understand that. So they have those two items in my classroom, and they use the sketchbook in their folder as soon as they come in, so there isn't any dead space or weird transition time. So while the kids are getting this out and they're working, I am out in the hallway greeting students and monitoring the hallway. And after the bell rings, when I walk in my classroom, it's my expectation that the students are working. It is silent. No one's walking around. They're not chatting. I like to have order and structure right when I walk in the classroom because it gives me that chance to take a deep breath, gather myself, and be a good teacher for my students. I walk to my desk and I take attendance right there. Now, before I go into how I present lessons and things like that, I want to discuss um, my clear routines and structure with students, uh, but I also want to talk about how I give them choice. It's so important to start off your school year or just your new quarter or semester or whatever you have with really strong, clear routines. Um, because if you don't, it can be a little harder for you later on because the kids, not that they're really meaning to, maybe they are, but they want to just push you to see how far you'll go. And that's with our own children too. I mean, if you're a parent or a teacher, you just kids just want to do that. They want to look and see how far things can go. And so I think it's so important that we are very firm with our rules and expectations right off the bat. So a couple of things that I have clear, firm rules on are no phones in my classroom, stay in their backpacks, no eating, no uh, texting, um, things like that. And I know that some of y'all might be listening to this and going, wait, what? My kids have their phones up all the time. And yes, I do let them later, but right at the beginning of my class, whenever they're learning me, I don't want those things distracting us and they kind of have to earn it. So, um, those things can come later and do, and there are of course exceptions to, that um, I tell the students if they absolutely have to, you know, talk to their parent about something, I'll let them text their parent really quickly, but they have to ask me first. Or if they really are proud of something they're doing in my art room and they want to take a photograph of it and save it on their phone or send it to someone, I'm fine with that. But they have to ask me first. And part of that is just managing that they are not on their phones during classroom time, but also so they know that I am, uh, you know, in charge of them and they are following my directions. So I go over those things with them and when I talk to them, I use an assertive voice and I've mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but when you're going over your classroom management 
um, rules with your students. Make sure that you are firm in your speaking to them, that they um, hear that tone and they they understand. Make sure you know you're not going. Okay, guys. Well, um, well, make sure you you know we need to do this because they will just hear that and take over. And listen, I'm sharing this because I've experienced it. I remember my first year's teaching, I was like 23 years old, 22 or 23. And these kids were only like five years younger than me. And that <laughs> it's kind of hard. Well, it was back then. It was hard for me to assert myself because I felt like I was their age almost. And I, even though I'm now I'm 38, I am definitely ages older than these children, I still sometimes uh, will have to watch myself and make sure I'm not asking them, but I'm telling them. And um, that's something I've learned as a parent. You don't ask your kids uh, to do something. You tell them to do it. Uh, even my 15-year-old was like, Mom, uh, you know, I wish you'd just not ask me to the, do the dishes and say, would I just tell me to do it and I'll do it. And I was like, okay, son. And so, I mean, it they really want that structure. And they really do want those clear directions. And so, um, I'm constantly trying to have those things uh, at home and at school. So, whenever you're going over those procedures in your classroom and you're using your assertive voice, go over how you want them to behave in the classroom, how you expect, expect them to walk, talk, how you want to do, them to do every little function in the room and explain to them why this is important. One, because it um, keeps things organized. It keeps the classroom calm. It keeps it an inviting learning environment. And most importantly, it keeps them safe. And there's this um, book that I have read and also I've been to a couple of conferences. It was more elementary driven, but I use a lot of, of its principles still in my classroom. And the book is called A Conscious Discipline. And they focus a lot on how they speak, how they speak to the kids. But one of their little phrases they say is, it's my job to keep you safe. And then the kids say like, it's our job to help keep it safe. And while I don't have my middle school students recite that back to me, I do explain to them the whys of everything I do in my classroom because it's for their safety and it's for um, whatever procedure we're doing for their assignments. It's for um, clarity um, and things like that. And they really understand and respect that. After you've gone over how you want your students to behave, how you want them to go over the different procedures in your classroom and your routines and how you want to structure it. Hold the kids accountable. A couple of ways you can do that is through having behavior contracts. A behavior contract would be a sheet of paper that has your explicit rules on there and clear directions on what you expect from them in the classroom. And that is custom to you in your classroom and y'all's needs. And at the bottom, it will have a space for the student to sign and date and then a space for a parent to sign and date. 
then they bring it back to you. On the back of this paper, it has um, like a table. And this table is just a space for you to um, organize and write down anytime a student is disrespecting the classroom environment or not following the rules that you have uh, laid out for them. I like to attach it to the other side of the paper that they signed so that way I can refer back and say hey look you signed this and today I am giving you a warning and because you were you know doing something you weren't supposed to do in class whether it's blurting out loud and you gave a warning so you have them sign on the back of that and then you put it back in your file folder and I organize mine by each class and um so say couple days later something else happens and they're screaming yelling or whatever the issue is that you don't want to have in your classroom the negative behavior then you can have them sign that again and every school has a different due process but I know for me my schools want the teachers to handle those smaller issues in the classroom and call parents and work with the students with their behavior and make these contracts. So really just the severe issues um, or maybe the repetitive issues are handled by the administration. So you could say the first time they have to sign the back is their warning. The second time you have to sign the back is their um, parent phone call and a warning. The third could be um, parent phone call, you know, warning, but also you're referring them to the principal uh, just to speak with, or maybe you want to go ahead and give them a detention. And then the fourth, usually it's about the fourth for me, is um, they are referred to admin with a or behavior document and the administrator will come and take them, remove them from my classroom. And um, so it just depends on your school needs, on your school, how they already have it set up. Um, but if you don't have something like that in place, you definitely want to have some type of behavior con contract. Now you may be thinking, wait, but what if I sent this behavior contract home and 20 of my students didn't return it? Well, that's going to happen where parents may not sign it and the kid may not bring it back. That's just a fact of life. There's just going to be some kids that do that. So what you will have is the behavior contract that the kid signs and you just keep it. And the parent, if they don't have the signature, at least you have it with your student. And um, I'd also just suggest if you don't want to even worry about having the parent sign it, you could just do the contract between you and your student. And then if it gets really severe, you can, you know, pull out that piece of paper with all the signatures on the back from your student and then call the parent or make a copy of it and send it home with them and saying, hey, we had this behavior contract and this is how far it's going. I really need your help at home with this. Now, I'm saying all this, guys, and I just want to remind y'all, I am not an expert, but I feel like it's just something that we as art teachers don't hear a lot about. Honestly, I don't, I haven't heard a podcast or really anything specific to art teachers, and this is something that I wish I had, and so 
I'm just coming at that place with y'all talking about this. So if you already have all the knowledge and skills of classroom management, you may not really want to listen to this, but I'm really just thinking about you guys who, you know, just need this little bit of help or this little, little bit of idea. One thing that my school does currently um, is they have ledgers that they placed in the student's planner. And we as teachers can give positive behavior ledger points or um, takeaway points. And we do a um, end of the nine weeks party. Um, so we have four parties and they are organized by um, their school wide and they're organized by grade level. So if your school does something like that, awesome. If your school doesn't, maybe that's something you can mention. But that's also just another option you could do for classroom management uh, for your own self is to some, come, sorry, to do some sort of reward um, incentive for the kids where if at the end of the nine weeks, your students um, make good choices, they've earned points, whether you give them, you know, five points every time they do something positive or 10 points whenever they don't do something positive. Um, at the end of the nine weeks, you give them a toy. Like I bought a box of Amazon party favors for like 30 bucks, like 800 little party favors, various like slap sticky hands, um, those uh, puzzle balls, all those different things. And the kids love them and you could just give them something like that. So it doesn't have to be crazy. And I try to stay away from giving students food and treats because of all of the food allergies. All right. So with the behavior contracts, I'm going to side, sidebar over just a second and just talk about um, when a kid is misbehaving in your classroom. That isn't that the kid is a bad kid or a bad behavior like 99% of the time, right? <laughs> no, just kidding. You know that the kids are not bad. And they're just missing a skill. They're little. And, you know, when I say little, I'm talking about middle school kids. I know they're teens or they're preteens, but they're still children, right? I mean, at the end of the day, these are kids that we're talking about. So they're not going to be know-it-alls know and how to behave in this world. I mean, shoot myself, I'm still figuring out, you know. And so, if they're having trouble in your classroom, think about what skill it is that they need to learn and work on just helping them with that skill. They need that positive uh, reinforcement and encouragement and um, it shows them that you see them and you're taking your time out for them. And I know that building relationships and getting to know your students is a part of that piece. But when it comes to behavior, sometimes it's hard for us to see the bright side. Sometimes when we're just down and out with issues. And so try to look for those little glimmers and and don't compare your students either. So um, let them see that you're all seeing them. Sorry, let me repeat that. Let them see that you are seeing each of them individually as individuals. And if they are missing skills, show them. 
don't say, well, little Johnny over here is sitting in the chair. Why aren't you sitting in the chair? Or so-and-so-so can always come in here and be quiet. Why can't you be quiet? Don't compare them like that because that's not how you teach them the skill. You have to do it by modeling. And we really, as teachers, we have to keep ourselves in check so much. I mean, really, we do. Um, so, um, you know, just be aware of that, okay? Because um, even sarcasm and anything you throw out at them like that um, can hinder you teaching them those skills that they are missing. Okay, and what about the kid that, this just happened to me today, so I will talk about that. So what about the kid that says, I don't even want to be in art. I don't like art. I can't art. I don't know how to draw. And, you know, say they're sitting next to someone who is just leaps and bounds ahead of them. Okay, what do you do with that? Um, this, to me, is a classroom management issue as well as just an instructional issue, right? But I'm going to talk about it through the classroom management side. Middle schoolers are so insecure about their drawing, for the most part, right? I'm, I don't want to just umbrella all of them. Maybe some of them aren't, but for the most part, they are. And so they're missing drawing skills. This particular student, he's focused more on the sports side. So he comes to my classroom and, you know, he's like, Miss Nolte, this is hard. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not an artist. And of course, I am the, the point where I'm, I'm going to try to say y'all, I want the kids to, to take themselves out for a second. We're not in this classroom so I can pinpoint you are an artist you are an artist you're not an artist you're not an artist you are an artist that's not how this classroom rolls guys that's that's not how it rolls and so I talk about the importance of why we're in the classroom so I um will talk to the student and just be like I hear you completely I understand I know it must be scary or maybe a little intimidating to be in art class when you don't have maybe the drawing skills that you want, but that's why you're in here so I can teach you. And um, my expectation is not that you're going to leave here and be a famous artist, but that you have some tools in your pocket that you can use for other classes. Like for instance, in English, if you see a painting that your teacher shares about, you might know it. Or if we talk about primary colors and secondary colors and how light happens and does the refraction with the prism, you might be able to use that in science. Or in math, we may be able to um, transfer your knowledge from art to math whenever we talk about fractions, proportions, and things like that. So I just try to come at it as a place on how my classroom is a great tool to use for other classes and um, I'm not we're not all in here just to make pretty pictures and also I like to talk about how um, because we're not in here all to make pretty pictures it's way more and beyond that I'm here to teach them a growth mindset and I want them in here so I can help them develop their creative thinking and that's how we all are as art teachers. We want to instill those um, tools and strategies in our students so they can feel confident in their abilities. And the abilities don't have to be um, amazing artists um, and drawers and go to high school and college in art. 
um, this is from my intro class, by the way, that I'm speaking of. And so, of course, if you have students that are in more advanced classes, you would hold them to a different caliber, okay? So, I am just talking about my introduction to visual arts right now. Uh, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade students who have had no other art training. This leads me to discussing our um, job as educators, art teachers, to make sure our lessons are um, appropriate for our grade level, our developmental level, and um, they're not long and drawn out, but they are challenging enough and that we know our content. And um, it's really important that we create those lessons that the kids are engaged um, because that will also help our students with um, being focused and not wanting to get out of their seats or um, not, um, you know, doing the things that we don't want them to do. And uh, so if you're doing materials, or sorry, if you're doing a lesson where you have to have certain materials out, make sure that they are in a place that is accessible for all students. And um, like I've told y'all in a previous podcast, I have my art supplies that students can use every day on my wall. I think I posted it on my Instagram. And then I only have printmaking supplies and like wet media that are put away in cabinets. And so students can get up and move around my room and transition to do different things um, appropriately because I've shown them how and when they can do it. They can't do it when I'm talking. They can't do it when I'm presenting my lessons, but they can do it afterwards. They cannot speak whenever I'm, I'm, discussing their art lesson, but they can raise their hand and I can call upon them. So all of that has, um, a major focus, um, in our art classroom as well. And I know I've discussed knowing our students, but I also want to mention that it's important that you spend time looking at and reading your students, IEPs um, and their 504s if they have any health alerts and any special accommodations. Um, your students need that. If they have ADHD or anything like that, maybe depression, it's so important to know them at that level because um, it will help you with your classroom management issues if you know a student um, needs to stand up to work. Um, I have one student who has to stand up to work in my classroom and instead of getting on to the student and say, you know, why, why are you standing up over there working on the counter? Why don't you go back to your assigned seat? Uh, I came to the student and said, oh, do you work better standing up? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, great. Well, I'll just make sure I clear this area off next time for you and you can start working here. That's great. And that's all I had to do. And so I'm sharing that because before we jump to conclusions on a student, whatever it may be, even if they don't have like an IEP or I don't, I don't even, uh, I'm not even really mentioning that, but even if they don't have an IEP, still accommodate them if they like to stand up when they work or if they want to sit on the floor, um, flexible seating so great, but I do like sign seats. So I always think start with an assigned seat, right? But 
be flexible with that and give your students a few choices. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here in a little bit, but the last couple of things I want to say is just to be consistent with yourself and be kind and go easy on yourself. You know, you're a human too, and we have lots of things going on, going on in our life. So try to keep it simple and just stick to the main things that you want to focus on in your classroom, even if it's just like one or two things to start it off and you can always add more but start off being consistent with one or two things with your students and then you can let them grow as you go on um I found that if I try to do too many things all at once new things then I will hold on to a couple things and then the rest of them I just kind of let fall to the wayside and it's really hard to juggle everything so, um, so be kind to yourself about that. If you want to do more things and you know you're only one person, invite your students to be in charge of those things that you want to accomplish in your room, but you just don't have the mental capacity or the physical capacity to do it. Choose a few students that can be, um, that, that do the jobs for you, whether they put the chairs up or take the chairs down or they are the ones that bring the sketchbooks to your table or they put the folders away or they clean up the table. Um, anything to help the flow and the movements of your room and your space. Um, call on some kids to do that and that will really, really help you. So as I began recording tonight, my daughter came in and was curious about what I was doing and she wanted to leave y'all a message. So I'm going to leave it here with a message for my daughter and I will talk to y'all later. Bye. Okay, so um, today we are just going to let your imaginations fly. All teachers, let your imaginations fly. Be inspired by anything you want to. And just have fun and show your kids and be happy in your life. Bye.